Thank you for listening to WNLA's Sermon of the Week. Visit our website at wnla.church for ways to partner with us and to connect with our ministries. Here is this week's sermon. We ain't home yet, church. Aren't you glad about that? Right? I need to practice something with second service. Amen? All right, listen to that. All right. So it is fair and okay to say amen during church, you know, and, and you know, we'll practice. It's okay. Listen, 2021, amazing year. Amen? God is good in 2021. He is blessing you in 2021. Amen? Oh, you guys are going to get... I know the people online are just screaming. And, uh, and, and so uh, I'll, I'll, just, I'll receive it. But listen, we started a series last week called Origin. Because I believe more than any prophetic word, more than any word of direction, I believe the single most thing that the Lord wants to do with His church in 2021 is bring them and call them into intimacy with Him again. Intimacy with Him. More than we ever have before. Getting back to living intimate with the source, the origin, Jesus Christ. The Lord Almighty through Jesus Christ. Amen? Because the thing is, we're, <laughs> I think a lot of us, like, we're, we're just like, we're desperate not to miss out on what God's doing or what's happening in history and all of that. And, and it creates a little bit of a frenzy or a panic in us. And so we grab onto any, anything, even though we're not sure if it's true or not. We're just like, ah! But here's the thing. The Lord doesn't want you to miss out either. And if you, if you honestly will simply come back and spend time in the presence of the one who created all things, you ain't going to miss a thing. You won't miss a beat. It, honestly, you got to believe that. He has good things for you, and he's not eager for you to miss out on them. And, and so spending time with him. Uh, I called the church to a, a fast in January, and it's not too late to join in. I know some of you skipped last week because you're like, oh, I won't have to fast. Um, and you don't have to, honestly. Uh, simply put, we're not trying to fast to get our way or to throw a fit and demand things of the Lord. This fast is simply to take, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be food. I know some people are fasting uh, like social media or video games or, or whatever it is. And and the whole idea is, Lord, I'm going to give up this thing that I really like and I'm enjoying, like coffee or that hamburger or whatever it is, because I want more of you. I just want to be with you. And that's the whole point. And, and then on Wednesday nights, we're meeting together at, uh, at 6.30 to 7.30. I try to have an end time so that, so that we can just go all in and, and not, not worry about it. But this last Wednesday, uh, we'll meet through all, through all of January, 6.30 to 7. This last Wednesday... Um, or it was a crazy day for the United States of America. I mean, during that day, if you recall, maybe you didn't, maybe you were, didn't pay attention, but someone was shot in our capital. I mean, there was riots. The, the governor of Washington State, they, people tried to break his gate down. Like, it was a crazy day. If ever there was a, lot of, a, a great day to, uh, to be overwhelmed and, and, and crazy, that was a great day for it. But we met here at 630 
And the first thing that we did was, was unpack our bags, essentially. Like, the whole idea was this, Lord, I, we're not here to pray about all these things we're, we're freaking out about. We give them to you. We trust you. And we, we honestly, we just spent five minutes. Lord, here's what's on my mind. Here's what's on my heart. I give it to you. I trust you. And I set it aside. And then the whole goal of the evening was simply to press into the Lord, spend time with him, and hear and pray what was on his heart. Uh, and, and I'm telling, like, it was, it, was, it was so cool. A couple of the themes that came out of Wednesday night, um, one, one thing that kept coming up was, was that, that he wants us to step out in faith and grow in faith. It just kept coming up in several times. Um, another thing that was really, uh, I felt was a real timely word, was, was a, a desperation almost, but a passion for the lost, those who don't know Jesus. Um, and, and we prayed into all these things and others, and, and you know, I'm, I'm keeping notes, but it, I sat there at the end, I'm like, wow, it's interesting what we prayed. It sounds a lot like things Jesus would be praying about right now. Stepping out in faith, a passion for the lost. And, and so I would invite you to join us. Um, listen, I, I know one of the biggest uh, criticisms I get is that I'm not political enough. Um, and, and, and trust me, I, have, I probably have more opinions than anybody in this room when it comes to, to politics. And I, I, I just know, and I'm, I'm not here on planet Earth to expand any other kingdom than the kingdom of God. It's, that, that's why I don't, like, I don't jump into the fray. Because I want to have a platform to bring Jesus Christ and he can win in any kingdom on, on planet earth. It doesn't matter who the king or president or whatever it is. The kingdom comes. People know Jesus. That's the most important thing. I mean, imagine if you will, that when Jesus ascended into heaven and the apostles started out on the journey to bring the good news of Jesus, their number one goal became, hey, we should take over the Sanhedrin and become in charge of Jerusalem. Or, and then once we do that, we'll overthrow Rome. And then we'll become the emperors. That wasn't even on their grid. Their grid was to seek and save the lost. Yes, seek the Sanhedrin folks, the, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Yes, bring the gospel to Rome. And, and to the all of that was on the plate. And then the results are all in his hand. Their goal wasn't to bring any kingdom, but the kingdom of Jesus, because he wins And as I'm spending time with the Lord uh, it, it, during this fast and during this, this gen, honestly, what I, what I keep coming back to is just, like, what's flowing out of me is just, Lord, I love you. Oh, I, and I, I love you. And then, and then I get this over, overwhelming, you love me. And that, that's what I'm experiencing. You're like, well, that's not very profound. That's what I'm experiencing. Lord, I love you. And it just keeps flowing out of me in my time of devotion, in my time of prayer. Lord, wow, I love you. And he's like, I love you. And it's just this amazing, intimate thing. And so, folks, you don't need a new prophetic word right now. You need to go to the source. <laughs> you need to go to the origin. You need to go to Lord, the Lord Almighty. He's the only one. And I know that some of us, maybe you don't really understand what intimacy is with the Lord, uh, because that's a foreign word and it seems weird. Um, but, but, and I don't know how to fully explain it to you other than you let him in and speak to him in every moment. 
of your life, everything in your life. And I'm talking the nitty-gritty. I'm talking about the dirty thoughts. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the selfish ambitions, the, the stupid decisions. You bring him in, and you let him in. You're like, Lord, wow, I'm sorry, Lord. And, and there's this intimacy because he's not running away from you. He's running towards you, even in that depravity. And intimacy is he knows me more than anybody, nobody else, even my spouse, my parents, cannot understand my heart and my mind the way the Lord does. And so I let him in, even, even when I'm experiencing anxiety and anger, I just, Lord, I, Lord, here's what I'm, Lord, I need you. Lord, I give it to you. And then the next step is I bring him into all of my goals and my ambitions and my dreams. I let him into every single bit. I don't, I don't hold my cards thinking he can't see them anyway, right? Have you ever played Uno with a five-year-old before? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, parents especially. You play Uno with a five-year-old. You know every card in their hand already because they're holding it like this. Oh, daddy will never know I got a skip in here, Right? Oh, she's got a draw too, and, 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 and it doesn't, yet it doesn't stop me when, when Emma will play that draw too. I'm like, oh, I can't believe you would do that to your dad. I knew she had it in there the whole time. And even sometimes I'm like, you know what, I, I, I'm not going to play my draw too on top of that. I'm just going to, because I love her, right? And it's part of the fun of being a dad. Jesus knows every card in your hand. Even the ones you've slid up your sleeve thinking he can't see him. He already knows all things. Intimacy is you're in everything. I'm going to let you in. I'm going to let you full access. My struggles, my victories, it's, that's intimacy. And so you're like, I can't go back to the source. I'm not fasting enough. That's dumb. I can't go back to the source. I'm not reading the Bible enough. That's dumb. I can't go back to the source because I keep stumbling into sin. That's even more dumb. That's when you go to... you bring. <laughs> Why bring Jesus into my sin? Well, yeah, if you don't, you're going to keep sinning. Because I have a card up my sleeve he doesn't know about, I continue to function and act as if he's not there. If I bring him into everything, he leads me into all righteousness for his namesake. He's a good father. This will change your life if you, go to, if you get intimate with the Lord. Get back to the source, back to our origin. Our origin matters, church. Told you last week, like, it's not the light switch's fault sometimes that the light's not going on. you got to keep tracing it back, back to the breaker panel, back to the power plant, back to the river. That's, there's a problem. If there's an issue, if there's a malfunction, you go back to the source and let him heal your way to the light bulb. And he'll redirect your paths, and he'll, re, he'll straighten your paths. He'll get those circuits firing again. He will heal you. He will, bring, he will give you the mind of Christ, but you got to go back to the source. It's the only way, and I need to move on. If you feel, uh, if you, if you feel confused, panicked, betrayed, um, as I read this this morning, I, like I, that word betrayed really stuck out to me, and I feel like somebody who's listening to this message today, that when we say the word, I feel betrayed, it's just something that, that's resonating with you, uh, and I believe this is what the Lord is saying to you, let him into that betrayal. And he wants to, he, he's the only one who can heal that, that wound of betrayal because he was betrayed more than anybody. And, and he was betrayed right alongside you, even in your circumstance. Please let him in. Get intimate with the Lord in that. Okay. I have what I believe is, is a profound word from the Lord um, that I'm going to get to at the end. But before I do, I want to jump into to, uh, King Hezekiah this morning. Um, I, it's, this isn't unrelated, and this is good too, but, uh, and it relates. But I want to start with King Hezekiah. 
Uh, I'm not going to show that video in this service, Jim, but, but uh, King Hezekiah, uh, if I were in charge of a rating system, you know, like we like to rate how cool people are, King Hezekiah would be in the top one or two. King Hezekiah and Josiah would be like the two greatest kings in all of Israel's history, in my opinion, outranking David. However, the Lord has different ranking plans for me, but uh, uh, for all of us. Um, but the, the Lord, Hezekiah turned to the Lord like nobody else um, in the midst of a, de- a very depraved situation from generations of people who were f- serving false gods in high places and had abandoned everything uh, God. Yet Hezekiah there rose up. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Kings that, that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord and not one of the kings of Judah was like him either before or after him. I would love for the book about my life to say something like that. Not one person trusted the Lord like Andy did, neither before nor after him. Wouldn't you love that? We'll read the book when we get to heaven and see how it ends, all right? But it, Hezekiah did make one fatal uh, error at the end. He took a bunch of people from Babylon on a grand tour of, of all the temple treasuries, and it ended up being a bad thing. But, uh, but he did, he, he tore down all the high places in Israel. He, uh, a lot of kings tore down the Asherah poles and all and the, the altars to Baal. A lot of kings did that, but not, not, not any of them tore down the high places. High places are, are things that existed before even King David and King Saul. They were places that people would go to worship. They would worship God in these high places, the Lord God Almighty, the one that we worship. They'd also worship other gods, and it was just these places they could go. They were more convenient than having to go down to Jerusalem. But God had made it very clear, you worship, this is where you worship, in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and so uh, it created a lot, of, a lot of tension, and most kings didn't break those high places down. But Hezekiah when it's so zealous for the Lord, he loved the Lord, so he tore them all down. Um, I want to give you a quick context. This is teacher moment, and you may, you may tune out if you need to for the next five minutes. Three minutes, I'll make it fast. But I love the history and the context surrounding what's going on in the world right now under Hezekiah. Okay? So we always talk about the people of Israel, right? And we, we know the story where Moses led them out of slavery, out of Egypt. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. Then they marched into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey that the Lord promised to his people. They march in. They end up taking over Jericho Falls, all of that. There's a, there's a series of judges that, that rule. Um, and then they finally get to appoint a king, King Saul, right? Um, and, uh, and even under King Saul, the, the kingdom was actually divided often. You had Israel, which was the whole, which was everybody else, and then you had these, these Judah people that were a little bit separate. Beth, uh, excuse me, Bethlehem, yes, um, Jerusalem, it's all down in Judah. In fact, the only king that had perfect unity throughout his reign for the entirety of the people of Israel was Solomon. When Solomon dies, Jeroboam, Rehoboam come along, and the kingdom splits. And from that point on, Israel and Judah are two different nations. And often, they're warring and killing each other. Sometimes, like under Jehoshaphat, they were buddies, and they uh, allied together. More, you know, they, 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 they knew they were relatives. They all come in. They were the people of God. But, but through most of the kings, through all the times of the kings, it was two different nations, Judah and Israel. Israel had a problem because they knew that they were supposed to only worship God in Jerusalem, which is now a part of Judah, which often led them and kept them in idolatry, worshiping at the high places, and they they put altars up in in the northern part of Israel. Their capital was 
Samaria, all right? So to the course of history, I'm, I'll speed this up, course of history, they kept, uh, uh, kept idolatry, and finally, it was so much so that the Lord got rid of Israel. What? That's right. Uh, they, they wouldn't destroy their idols. They kept turning to idolatry, and so Assyria came and took Israel, destroyed them, and Assyria did something that even Babylon does later, but they would take people from all the nations that they, that they had, and they would assimilate them into all the other nations. So let's say I had 100 people. I would take 20 of them, send them to, uh, to Nineveh. I'd take 20 of them, send them up to wherever. And I'd do all of this. I'd intermix them all. And then I would take people from all those places and repopulate Israel. Which is why when we get to Jesus, the Samaritan woman, they were a bunch of, uh, well, I'm not sure what you, you call them. They were all intermarried. They, there was no pure-blooded Israelites left. And uh, they, they didn't know how to worship God fully, because we don't even know to this day what happened to all these tribes in Israel. They never came back. But Judah in Jerusalem remained at this point. We're back to Hezekiah now. For the sake of David, for the sake of the promise, they still remained. And Hezekiah comes and destroys these, these high places. He destroys all, all, the, all the idols, and he turns his heart to the Lord. But you have to understand they're still not a world power right now. They're, they're just a weak little nation because uh, you've got Egypt down south and they're, and they're, they're kind of a, still somewhat of a deal, but you've got Babylon rising and Assyria is, is the gangbusters right now. And they're just taking everybody over. They've taken Israel over, repopulated it. Little Judah, if you've ever been to Israel, it's a small place. I could walk across it myself or hoverboard, I don't know, whichever. It's not very big. So here's what happens in context. Now, Hezekiah loves the Lord. He's still not, he's still not, he's no Solomon, like they don't, they don't have a world power here. But Assyria marches in to Judah and just takes over all the fortified cities. They're all taken over now, and they surround Jerusalem. This is where the story picks up. And I'm going to tell some of it. I will read some of it. Um, the first thing Hezekiah does was he takes all the silver from the temple. He tears the, door, the gold off the doors and he sends it to the king of Assyria. And he's like, hey, peace, brother, peace. <laughs> Let's just get, can we all just get along, right? He knows he, he can't outmatch this guy. And, and, and uh, the Assyrians are like, uh, you think that giving us money is a form of warfare? And they, they, they mock him for it. So here's the situation. You've got, you've got uh, Hezekiah's generals up on the wall in Jerusalem. It's still a fortified city. Surrounded by the Assyrian army, the uh, chief cupbearer, the second in command of Assyria is out there hurling insults and mocking God. I love it when people mock God that are my enemies, mind you. <laughs> because if, people, if somebody starts mocking God, it's a bad day for them. The Lord will not be mocked. And so this king of Assyria, who thinks, who thinks they're a big deal now, even though God is the one who made them a big deal, starts mocking God and mocking the fact that, that they're thinking they're, they can trust in God. You sent money, no, that's not going to do anything. You think you can trust God. This is where we, we pick up. In fact, he says this, don't let Hezekiah fool you into trusting the Lord. This is what, this is what they say. Hezekiah is the very one who made you destroy all the high places and told you you could only worship here in Jerusalem. How did they know that Hezekiah had destroyed the high places and that was a big deal? Because they had people of Israel within their ranks. They'd assimilated them into Assyria and that had been a point of tension between Israel and Judah all along. These high places and that they had to worship in Judah. But, so he comes along and he's like, don't let Hezekiah trust, trick you into thinking you can trust in God. 
He's the one who destroyed the high places, and that's why God's not going to listen to you. Okay? Anyway, the, the negotiators, the general from Judah, Hezekiah's general, say this to them. Hey, hey, hey. Okay, listen. Please don't speak to us in Hebrew anymore. Speak to us in Aramaic. Right? It'd be like if someone was coming to attack me, and I'd be like, hey, hey, before you do that, uh, Dan, come here. Just speak to us in Spanish so that nobody else understands what you're saying. And Dan will tell me what, what's going on. Because we, we need to know. He didn't want them to be afraid. Right? He didn't want everyone to lose heart because they could all understand Hebrew. So he's like, please just speak to us in Aramaic. Of course, they're like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And so here's where we pick up. 2 Kings 18, 28 through 37. It says this. The Rabshakeh, this is the chief cupbearer or the chief of prince, the captain of the guard, stood and called out loudly in Hebrew. See, he's back in Hebrew. He spoke. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He can't deliver you from my hand. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord by saying, certainly the Lord will deliver us. This city will not be handed over, or excuse me, this city won't be handed over to the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for this is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Surrender to me. Listen to this. Then everyone may eat under their own vine and fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. All right? This is what he says. Then every one of you may eat from his own vine and his own fig tree. It's all good. Just make peace with us. Sounds a lot like how Satan talks to us in our moments of temptation, doesn't it? It's like, it's okay. I mean, yeah, this is what the Lord says, but... I got you. Just make peace with me. You'll get to eat under your own vine, your own fig tree. It goes on and it says, and everyone will drink water from his own cistern. It's like, hey, you can go back to that house of yours that you're so fond of, that tree that you planted. You can eat in that. You can drink water from the faucet or the hose. You're good to go. But watch this. Until, <laughs> you can go back. You'll get to eat of your own vine and fig tree until I come and take you away into a land like your land. This is the depravity of Satan. This is what he does to us. Till I come and take you into your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, so that you may live and not die. You don't want to die? Come on. This is how Satan talks to us. What was the promise to the people of Israel, right? From the very get-go, when they marched out, I will take you and give you a land flowing with milk and honey. The promised land. Israel, this is where you're going to go. And what does Satan say? What, is the, what, is, what are they saying here? I'll get you into a land like your land. It's got bread. It's got new wine. You'll be good to go. You don't need to just trust in that one thing. I got good things too. And this is, this is not my main point. But this is how Satan will talk to you. In, in your moments of weakness and in your moments of temptation, he's like, he's like, hey, 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 I got you. Like, it's okay. I know your heart. You want, you want what God wants for you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, I have a land like that for you. Make peace with me. Just take a bite of that apple. No big deal. And, and then you can, eat of your own, you can eat of these beautiful things until I'll take you into a land like yours. No one will make you afraid. You can eat of your own vine and fig tree so that you'll live and not die. Listen, Satan comes like a soothsayer. It's okay. It's okay. 
And he soothes you and he speaks of peace and he speaks of, of fulfillment of your desires and he soothes and strokes you until you take the bite and then he says, oh, disgusting. God could never forgive you for that. You better just stay with me. And because we believe that, we hide our cards back up our sleeves and we're like, God can never forgive me for this. I'll just eat of the scraps instead of the abundance that he had for me. It's a land like our land. I'll just I'll eat what I can. And then he holds you as a slave. Folks, don't you listen to the voice of the enemy lying to you. There is one truth, a one land flowing with milk and honey, one promise, and it's only given through the blood of Jesus Christ and following him with all that you are. That's the only way that you can eat of the feast. And if you've stumbled, if you've fallen, if you've listened to the people surrounding the fortified city and you've eaten the fruit... Just ask for forgiveness and, he's, and, and they have to shut up again. And you're brought back into the promised land. We live in a time where Jesus has offered himself fully. I got to finish because now I'm really going long. But you don't listen to Hezekiah. I'm back onto the scripture. But don't listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nation ever delivered his uh, land from the power of the king of Assyria? Who are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharaim and Hena and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the land has delivered his land from my power? So will the Lord deliver Jerusalem? Oh, and I wrote in my Bible here, ha watch out. You don't start mocking God. And I'm like, oh yeah, if only my enemies would just mock God, I would be, you know, I'm, anyway. But the people kept silent and they didn't say anything for the king's command was don't answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was in charge of the uh, palace, Shebna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the court historian, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and reported to him the words of Rabshakeh. So they bring, they bring these words to him. I think they must have been written down or, he, or Hezekiah wrote them down. Because here's, here's the point and here's what I'm getting to today. This is the profound moment. Here's what Hezekiah does with these words. He doesn't start scheming. He doesn't start trying to figure out which other armies he could, he could rally. He doesn't call Egypt on the phone. He doesn't, he doesn't call Babylon on the phone. He doesn't, he, what does he do? He takes these words. He rips his clothes and he goes into the temple before the presence of the Lord and he lays the words that these people are speaking about God and he says, look what they're saying about you. He, listen, he simply went back to the source and he says, Lord, this is your battle. Look what they're saying. There's nothing he, he, he could do. He went back to the source. <laughs> and watch this, what the Lord does. It says this in 1 Kings 19, 35. It says, that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. <laughs> I love the Bible. There are other times in Scripture where, where the Lord uses the army. He raises up, you know, he does circumstantial things. But in this instance, I love this instance because I believe it's the instance we're also in where he's just simply asking us to get back into his presence, humbly come and lay it all out before him and say, Lord, this is what's going on in my life. I love you. 
and not Hezekiah, his army, none of them had to lift a finger, didn't have to understand anything. They just woke up and there were all the dead bodies. The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord took care of the details. Folks, this is going to blow your mind. Okay? Look, everybody look at me. This is going to, you're going to be like, what? All right? God doesn't need your help to win. I'll say it one more time. God does not need your help to win. Now, don't get me wrong. He loves partnering with his people for some reason. <laughs> but if he wanted to, he could send an angel in and 185,000 Syrian army troops are wiped out. He chooses to partner with us in prayer. He chooses to partner with us and ask you to step out in faith and, and do you know, all these things. But I'm telling you, he doesn't need your help. He loves it. He loves to hang out with you in relationship, but he can win no matter what cards are dealt on planet Earth. I love what Paul says in the book of Acts when he's talking to the Greeks. He says this. He says that, that God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. I think we need to get over this trick in our mind that, that we're so great and so amazing that we're going to have the answer. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it figured out. And so I'll be able to scheme and get everything back into place. Or I'll be able to, to get my ducks in a row, my finances in a row, my country in a row, and we'll get it all and, and we'll, we'll do all this. Here's the thing. He doesn't need you to make those things happen. What, what does he want you to do? Oh, come before me. Be with me. Be still and know that I'm God. And yes, don't get me wrong, we petition the Lord, we pray, we ask. Like Obviously, he loves those things. But, but just because you got a hand that doesn't have any, like if you're playing poker and there's no, there's no suit cards in there, doesn't mean you've lost. You're like, well, Lord, look at the hand you got. <laughs> what if you did that, Lord? Wow! Everything just fell apart in my life. And you go before him, you're like, Lord, look what just happened to your life. <laughs> look at these cards you were just dealt. What are, what are you going to do about it? Like, I'm, and I'm, I'm being facetious. I mean, we, we come humbly, but it's like, Lord loves you so much that, that your cards are his cards. That, that your struggles are his struggles. And, and that he's looking to be your champion. Not you to be his champion. You're his son. And now he, again, he uses you to be his champion too. But it's because he loves you and he wants, he wants to share the glory with you. We simply need to go to the source. Now I want to end with this. One word, and this is the word I believe, uh, at least it was profound to me, and you take it for what it is. It's this Hebrew word, racham, racham, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I'm going to read it to you in context here in Scripture. It's one of our favorite Psalms, 145, 8 and 9. It says this, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. The Lord is good to all and has compassion on all that he has made. That's you and that's me. He has compassion on all that he has made. All right? The word that we're talking about is he has compassion. The word in the Hebrew is he has racham on all that he has made. It's translated in the scripture as either compassion or mercy, depending on your translation. 
But here, here's the thing, Racham. I, I just felt the Lord put it on my heart to look this up and start studying the word. The word Racham actually means in Hebrew, the womb. The womb. We're talking the womb of a woman where you were. You and I all spent some time. Usually around nine months, you were in your mother's womb in the Racham. And the connotations can't be more plain. This is, this is how the Lord views you in compassion and mercy, as his, in, his, in the Racham of the Lord. All that he has made. As a dad, as a, as a man, I, I understand I don't have the full, I've never carried a child in my Racham because I don't have a Racham. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> But I started, I started to do some study, and then I, I started to talk to my wife, who has carried children, all right? She's got a womb. Too much information. Um, when we talk about this word compassion, it comes from the word passion, obviously. Did you know, we love this word passion. Valentine's Day is coming up. Well, I'm so passionate about this person, right? Did you know the word passion does not mean what you think it means? <laughs> passion means to suffer, right? When, when we talk about the passion of the Christ, that movie, there was nothing, I mean, it was a beautiful thing, but you couldn't watch it for long because he had so much passion and compassion for you that he went through the passion that we're talking about. We talk about, oh, I would walk 500 miles for this, late, this, this girl, right? It's a passion. I'm willing to be tormented. I will do anything. It's a suffering. That's what passion is. Compassion, the, word, the prefix calm means to, is, it means with. Compassion to suffer with or suffer alongside. This is why, this is why the womb becomes so profound because I'm talking to my wife, I'm like, does this mean anything to you? And it, she, it didn't, it didn't like mean anything to her until I, until I said, compassion means to suffer alongside. She's like, that's it. <laughs> that's what the womb is. Like, that's what it means to have a baby. Like, you, you, you've just sacrificed your entire body for the sake of another and every, everything that you're suffering, you're doing it with, and this, this is a profound protection that, it, that, is, that is godly in that. I will add uh, just, just quickly that how much more depraved, it, when, you, when you talk about abortion, to destroy the, the, the racham, and then use the same words, oh, you have compassion on me. And, and I'm not condemning anybody, but I, 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 we do need to get an understanding of how God loves us and the truth of what he's saying to us. He's like, he's like, he has no intention to destroy you. He has compassion. He's right there with you, walking alongside you, and you are in his racham. His compassion is, is overwhelming over you. This is the source of your life. This is the intimacy that you're invited into. This is the protection he has for you. There's nothing you've walked through that he didn't walk through with you. There's nothing that he would let happen to you that he wouldn't stand with you and sit with you and cry with you and laugh with you and rejoice with you and, and, and be with you. This is what he wants for his people. This is why he created mankind to begin with. He wanted you, relationship. This is the compassion of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he has racham, compassion, over all that he has made. 
This is why it's foolishness when the Assyrians surround you in your life, whatever that figuratively is, whether it's, whether it's uh, literally happening to you or, or emotionally. Or, you don't run out and try to solve things. You run to the source and say, Father, look what's going on. And give him, give him a launching point through intimacy to perform a miraculous rescue in your life. I'm going to ask uh, the worship team to, we're just going to do one more song, but as we do, uh, I just love this, this one line in here. It says, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. This is where you're at. You are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's in Ephesians 2, 6, if you need uh, grounds to have a script. That's what the scripture says. And God raised us up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's where you get to sit in intimacy. And so whatever you brought in today, whatever is facing you in your life, whatever you're concerned about on planet Earth, as we sing this song, would you just spend this time intimately with the Lord? You're seated with him, not, not down on earth. You're seated with him in heavenly places, and he'll never leave you. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, prayer requests, or if you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit our website at wnla.church.